Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio, a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. This show is all about empowering you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but we'll show you just how easy it can be when you know exactly which small things really do matter. Today, I'm joined by chef, food innovator, and friend of mine, Tim Ma. For those who are not yet familiar with this brilliant chef, you can check out his amazing food at Curiousan and Shaw or American Sun and the Eaton Hotel. I very highly recommend both. Chef, welcome. Hi, how's it going? So from an environmental perspective, food waste is just bad news. It's a waste of water and other resources. And when it decomposes in landfills, it emits methane, which contributes to global warming. But as restaurant owners, you and I both know that food waste is not only bad for the environment, it's frankly bad for business, too. Who wants to pay someone to grow food, then transport food, then receive and stock food, then prepare food, only to throw the food away? It makes no sense. So, Chef Mai, you've become known for taking the time to repurpose food scraps in your restaurants. Why is doing that worth the effort? Um, I I think we've talked about this before a little bit in that... Number one, and probably the reason that like we've done this or we've been raised this way, is it makes business sense, mm-hmm. or at home it makes home financial sense, right? So, you know, growing up, I grew up pretty poor to be honest, and so food waste was not um, not so much the subject. It was like not. Uh, oh, actually, can I curse? Sure. There's like uh, six people listening. Go for right, it. Okay. Um, <laughs> not getting spanked or not getting punished for not finishing your food was um, kind of the motivation, right? And for my parents, it was, you know, if you don't finish your food, we throw it away. It's waste, wasteful of money. So it's like a Pavlovian response, uh, yeah, like eat or thou shalt be punished. Right. And so, you know, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a motivator sometimes when you're younger to not get spanked. And, like, and for my parents, it's just because, like, well, if we waste money there, we don't have money for the food for tomorrow. Certainly. Um, so it was a Chinese-American household where, where your mother simply didn't waste food, um, which certainly imparted a perspective on you. But what specific tricks did you learn from your family that you use to this day to minimize food waste? Um, use everything, right? And so, like, uh, what is it? Nose to tail wasn't... Uh, trendy then? Yeah, it wasn't trendy then, and it wasn't really uh, their uh, intent. It was just, hey, let's use everything because it's cheaper to buy things whole rather than um, in it's in individual primals or anything like that. So, you know, we ate, and Chinese people are very um, uh, known for eating lots of weird shit, right? So <laughs> organs and uh, offal and stuff like that uh, weren't uh, foreign to my family. So, you know, liver or pig's blood, uh, like it was like the first time I ate pig's blood, I just thought it was jello until it was like, oh, it tastes a little bit like metal. Uh, <laughs> so it was like metal jello, but it was, a, 
It's delicious. Uh, yeah, but is that, that the, do you put canned fruit and metal jelly? Uh, yeah, uh, that would be um, <laughs> uh, uh, a good balance. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it was just always ingrained in us to use everything, and that, that goes for like animals, but also for like the vegetables too. So, can you share a few of your favorite uses for food scraps on your menus? Um, let's start at home first, like do it. Uh, and like one of the. Uh, I don't know. Uh, something that I always thought was interesting was when my parents would serve us broccoli, and it was like simply steamed with like soy sauce and stuff like that. Um, we'd have all the broccoli flor- florets, but we'd also have like all the stems. stems. Yeah, and it's actually it's just you got to cook them a little longer, and they're actually delicious. Um, and so at home, we would always have that. Mm-hmm. In the restaurants, it's a little harder because of the volume that we deal with, right? So like. Um, like everybody always gives the food waste example of baby carrots, mm-hmm. which are super trendy right now, right? So everybody has them on restaurant um, menus. Uh, but if you, when you receive them, you actually receive all the greens and the biomass that it takes to grow a little baby carrot is like three times the size that it takes uh, to grow the carrot because of the greens. Um, and so it, it's a common challenge for most chefs with all the greens and you can make pesto all day long. You mm-hmm. serve it to family. You can put it on menus. You can put it on brunch, which is what we do you still have a lot of greens left over. And, you know, most of those actually end up in the garbage, but there's other things that you can do. It's just you have to, as a chef, this is the most creative part of being a chef is actually not the creative part of combining flavors. It's the creative part of how to use everything else, right? Mm -hmm. And so dehydrate uh, carrot greens to make carrot powder as a garnish. And it's great for... um, it's great for restaurants, but I can't see anybody at home dehydrating greens to have carrot powder for (laughs) your kid's dinner. Um, and so there's all kinds of things like that that we do that, um, you know, that help fight it. Obviously, they don't solve it because of, again, the quantity that we go through at the restaurant. But at home, you know, you can toss them in a stock, you can make them into pesto. And then, frankly, if there's anything left over, please compost. Yes. And, you know, the upside down food waste uh, triangle. So, yeah, compost is the, the best part or the, the top of it that you can do. Um, and I know that there are a couple of items that sort of landed on your menu because your staff was, was really excited about repurposing um, stuff like the the wings that were family meal that are now oh, yeah. your signature dish. Like I always forget about that. Like uh, <laughs> uh, at Maple Ave, uh, my very first restaurant in Virginia, uh, we we were doing so badly financially that everything mattered. It was just like growing up. Like we were so poor as a family growing up. I was so poor as a restaurateur starting where it was just like, you know, we were meddling in a, a ton of debt and, you know, ready to go out of business. Um, so everything really did matter. And when you get to that scale, um, again, like if me being cognizant of food waste was subconscious, right? It was a business decision at mm-hmm. that point. It was just like, and so the wings are, are a great example. I always forget about, um, we used to bring in whole chickens cause that's the right thing to do, right? Sure. You know, you take the breast from one part, you take the legs from another part. Uh, you use the bones for stock. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And then, and we always took off the wings. Uh, and so we would always use them for family and, uh, uh family meal. Mm-hmm. And so... I decided at one point I kept experimenting with different kinds of ways to make wings. And so I had this stupid idea to um, have the heating and cooling element of the wings in the same sauce so that you wouldn't have to dip. And it's, it still doesn't really, <laughs> genius, genius. yeah, it was just like, uh, but it was just like me, like fucking around um, in the kitchen. And so uh, we built this sauce and we, we served these wings and we served them to the employees and everybody was like, uh, this is fantastic. And I was like, okay, wait a second. Like you enjoy this and this is like stuff that we were going to throw away. Let me try and make money from yeah, it instead of sure. feeding it to you because it's just like, all right, well, I'm broke. So, um, 
and so I put it on the menu and I, you know, tried on a few individual people. And then it started, I was like, I went to French culinary school and I did all these things working for like Michelin star chefs and I'm serving wings. Like, <laughs> but of all things, that was actually something that, um, like this one dish was one of the things that started to have people pay attention to me to the point that it was on the cover of a magazine for Washingtonians cheap eats. Um, these wings that we were just typically just putting in stock or because we just couldn't eat wings for family anymore because we were so tired of it. But, That's uh, awesome, man. It's a great success, success story for um, food waste, I guess. So speaking of uh, being in a magazine, I have to thank you because you were profiled in Edible last yeah. year yeah. and you wore the Glens Garden Market shirt I gave you for the shoot. Yeah, and was... I, you know, I read the article, it was great, but I'm thinking to myself, this may be the only way I ever end up in a profile <laughs> in Edible magazine. So thank you yeah, for that. Yeah, of course, that was great. Um, so we are talking to Chef Tim of American Sun and Kirisan. So, Chef, can you tell us uh, what's the kind of air quotes weirdest thing you're able to repurpose on your menu? And how do you describe it to your customers without freaking them out? Um, so it's not something that was on my menu in a, on a regular basis, but this is for sure like the weirdest um, thing that I did. And I, I just thought about this um, in recent memory because I happened to serve it to a food critic and it was by accident. Oh, God. Um, and so the silky chickens, like the black chickens that you see in Asian markets, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, they, they have, um, the, the black skin, but white feathers. I decided like I was serving everything weird, right? Like at Kirasan at the beginning, we were just like going off the rails. Just go like, for yeah, it. Yeah. Like we, we had a salad full of organs, uh, like a salad. It was like a warm salad <laughs> with like just organs, like tripe and hearts and liver. And, Sounds and, awful. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I was doing stuff like that. And so I wanted, I wanted to do something in with the black chickens because you didn't see them on restaurant menus very often. And so I bought a bunch of them and I came up with, um, to be honest, I can't even remember the dish and the composition of it, but I served the entire chicken all the way down and it comes like claws on head on. But I was like, I'm not throwing this head away. Like what I'm going to do is like, that's part of like, Whoa. and so, um, you know, brains are a delicious part. And so I, I had this idea that like I would serve, you know, the leg one way and the breast one way and, you know, the wings were attached to the breast. So I was like, I'm going to serve the head as a whole different component to this dish. So I actually split the head down the middle and the instruction at the table was like, you know, after you finish everything, like the delicacy is actually to like suck the brains out of the, the head of the black chicken. Oh my gosh. And people did it no. and it was great. It was delicious. And, uh, um, so that was like the weirdest, I don't know if you want to call that food waste, but just kind of the weirdest way to use the entire part of the animal. So how did, how did the review come out? Oh, the, well, they didn't review that, luckily. Ah, but like, um, I, did, I did have some people later on, like just uh, some random people that I, I ran into who remembered that dish. And I was like, you were there on the one particular night that I served that dish. That's awesome. And they were like, yeah. And then we you know, ate the brains at the end. It was delicious. I was like, oh, well, then it worked. <laughs> no better way to end a meal, I think. Yeah. Um, so at Glenn's, we also operate under our no food waste mandate, meaning my guys have to use everything that's still edible and compost the rest of it. But the fact is, it's one thing for me to be a nut about it, uh, but it was another for that mandate to become embedded in our company culture. So you have you know, a couple of busy restaurants at this point. How did you get your approach to minimizing food waste to take so you could feel confident that it's happening when you're not the one sorting through the trash? I think it's transparency. And so I think it's, um, you know, culture is one thing. Developing employee culture is, is so important and it allows so many things to happen within uh, food businesses. Um, as you know, it's mm-hmm. it's one of the toughest things that we 
toughest things that we face more so than minimum wage and all that stuff. It's, you know, (laughs) company culture. Uh, And so uh, I think transparency in showing them that like why this matters for one thing is, you know, even like taking a trip to a a local farm, like we used to go to uh, Tuscarora every year and and go see uh, their farms and see how they operate and see the challenge of what they do. Right. So these guys are Tuscarora organic growers. They have extremely uh, very, very high integrity, sustainability driven growing practices. And a lot of the chefs and frankly, um, grocers around town are able to source like truly excellent produce. That's who he's talking about. Tuscarora. Um, uh, but also, like, on the flip side, the things that motivate us, right, the business side of it, why this matters on our side, um, and it makes sense, is like, hey, look, like, we're squeezing out, like, a 10% margin for a restaurant is, like, astronomical, right? Mm-hmm. And most of us live uh, below that. Um, and Consider- so, Considerably below that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One-tenth of that yes. in the grocery world. <laughs> Mostly the negative side of it. Uh, so uh, we... You know, I think showing them why that and being very transparent. It was like, hey, look, like we were buying like 10 pounds of carrots and we're throwing away like, you know, five pounds of it based on these greens. It's like, how do you like and we only charge like, you know, whatever. Yeah, a small increment. Yeah, Yeah. a a very small amount of and taking the hit on that. And um, it's like, this is why this matters, guys. And like, you know, the more we save here, the more that we can pay you or the more that we can, Mm -hmm. um, you know, make the restaurant better for everybody it's like this is almost like a non-profit business uh, the, the food industry right yeah unintentional um, non-profits yes uh and so i think just being super transparent about why all of this matters from all the way from uh, higher in the supply chain all the way down to your profit loss i think actually creates a culture of like okay like we're all in this together and definitely i think that's why maple ave was uh, such a anomaly is that like we all came out of out of that like uh it's not bankruptcy but all out of where we would have nobody coming through the restaurant doors and any given night and we all came out together and we created this just like culture of like okay we got to do everything that we can to squeak out like um everything we can out of this one bunch of carrots or this one fish or this one black chicken that's a really good point sort of no waste out of absolute necessity yeah um, I know you were so curious on it. It was two doors down from Glenn's Shaw, which was the, the location we had to close almost exactly a year ago. And Tim sort of like watched us in the death march of the final weeks. And I, I suspect there were some similarities there. Oh, for sure. That's, sort of like, that's a tough uh, building. It was like people would show up to a funeral, but they didn't know the guy was dead. <laughs> and you had to tell them like over and over and over again. It was horrible. Um, so I like I have a little bit of PTSD about that oh, feeling sure. that you're describing yeah. where the whole team knows like nobody's coming in. Right. And just let's figure out how to make the best of it. Um, so but you were talking a little bit about taking your guys out on field trips to Tuscarora. And that's uh, that's awesome. It's certainly a good way to build camaraderie and culture. At Glenn's, our no waste mandate is one of the things that actually attracts employees to to work at the store. Have you found that folks working in your kitchens are excited about your efforts to divert landfill waste? Is it something that like brings them in? I mean, the honest truth is not, right? And it's, you know, I think people come to work for a certain person or a certain restaurant or a certain grocer for the mission and the message as a whole, mm-hmm. right? And so it's just a piece, right? Just like their pay is just a piece of their employment. And it's like who you're working for is like you want to know that they have t- integrity and, you know, they they are able to pay you a living wage, which mm-hmm. is very important that they are conscious of what they're doing as it affects the outside world, outside of the four walls of the restaurant. And so um, I think as you put that message together as a whole is why somebody comes to work for you and, you know, I haven't had anybody come to come to me directly and be like, I'm here because of your 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 food waste policies. 
Um, <laughs> but they are very happy that we're actually cognizant of it because, you know, a, a lot of chefs want to go and learn how to use everything, right? That's why everybody fled to the um, nose tail restaurants mm-hmm. because they wanted to know whole animal butchery because that was the thing. And, you know, I think there's a whole vegetable butchery thing uh, happening as well. And not that they come or they're conscious of it, but uh, I think subconsciously as a whole, they see that that yeah. has a good effect on their I career. mean, the, there's a level of authenticity. Yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. So you can't, it's not do as I say, not as I do. It's yeah. like, we're really, we're doing this in a real way. And right. if you want to be a part of it, you get involved in the whole right. enterprise. Exactly. Um, so we're talking to Chef Tim Ma. He is uh, chef and owner of Curiesan and Shaw and American Son in the Eaton Hotel about minimizing food waste in his kitchens. Chef, can you tell us about the Blue Cart Zero Waste Kitchen Initiative? Um, yeah, I don't even know how that landed on my plate, to be honest. And that was kind of the beginning. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I'm full of them. I didn't even know that. Uh, so, yeah, it just, it, it kind of, and that was the beginning of when um, I started, like, just kind of, attaching a word to something that we've always done right um and so they it was three chefs one like and I, i'm so sorry i can't remember their names but uh one out of new york and one out of san francisco and, and like we only communicated through skype um and uh through like seeing us each other in the press about how we progressed but it, yeah it was really just like they tried and i give them this credit like blue card is uh like an ordering platform, mm-hmm. but also you put in your inventory and you, you know, and you would enter, we would give them um, our sales. And so they would be able to actually calculate a little bit about how we were doing in terms of waste, as long as we didn't change too many things mm-hmm. on our menu. <clears throat> and so I give them credit for trying to, yeah, I think the hardest thing is to quantify, right? And it's like, you know, people can spew out percentages, but like at a unit level um, to try and quantify what your food waste score or whatever is, is what they were trying to do. And, they sure. would, and we would compare scores and it wasn't really a competition. It was just like a challenge for us to try and improve our scores, um, which we all did, which was great. Um, but yeah, uh, it was just them not we weren't doing anything to change they were just kind of monitoring what we were doing which was interesting and then uh from that um i guess there wasn't too much attention in dc about like chefs um like how they were paying attention and controlling food waste mm-hmm. and so like it just kind of spiraled from there where it yeah. was just like the, you know one after another it was just like let's talk about food waste who do we who do we get and i i would show up and like you know i i want to talk about it because i think the more conversation there is the more people pay attention to it and it's, it's important um so it's been kind of you know i made like a keynote speech to like all these like uh People in the food supply chain much higher than me. <laughs> and I walk into this room of like 200 people. It was for um, Feeding America. I think it was um, the, the nonprofit. They're like, do you want to be the keynote speaker? I was like, this is a poor choice for you. <laughs> uh, but sure. Uh, so I get up and like my immediate line is like, you know, I'm here to speak about something that all of you in this room know much more um, than I do about. But like, They're like taking the check back as you're up on stage. Yeah, but like... <laughs> But like literally, like you know, my hands are like one of the last. Like we're at the end of this chain, right? And so we see it direct in front of the consumer and how it affects um, them and how it affects us. Mm-hmm. And so, like I, I really gave it um, from that perspective. And because like somebody higher, the, the farmer will never see it, um, but we, as the chefs, we we see it how it affects um, what we do. And, yeah, and I mean, it, like every single 
food item going into a compost is like a dagger to the heart of the right. person that had exactly. to pay for it and, and is trying to pay all their other expenses by way of it. The, the grocer is the other side, right? Oh, you're Lord just like us. We're, we're on the front lines of it. Um, so when it comes to controlling food waste in a restaurant, there are a lot of factors in play. There's disciplined ordering. Um, they're having plans for every part of the animal or vegetable through inventive dishes. Um, you can think it all through, but then it rains and no one shows up for dinner or your refrigerators crap out. Can you tell, a little, tell us a little bit about how you accommodate for those types of surprises? Um, okay, so like kind of attacking this from uh, a little bit higher up in the process. Smart menu design. Um, smart menu design in that you know, you try and use a single piece of vegetable or a single protein multiple times where you disguise it or you uh, apply a different technique to it so that it's it's not looking like something's repeated, mm-hmm. I think is, is important so that we keep our order guides concise. Sure. Um, so keep keeping those order guides concise means that, like, we know exactly what we need to order. So the next thing is smart ordering. Um, so ordering just what you need for the time period. I can't, you know, uh, ordering for one day at a time is very difficult on uh, for anybody at any level uh, on the food business side. <clears throat> but ordering and being a fortune teller, like we are part being able to tell the future that like, okay, I know 100 people are going to walk through my uh, door the next day and this is what they're going to order. And so I'm going to order correctly so that at the end of the night, I just have nothing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Well, that's the dream. That's the theory. Um, but uh, like everybody knows, theories are only theories for a reason. <clears throat> um, so uh, doing all that and then portion control, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, something that's so uh, gotten so out of hand uh, in, in America specifically is, you know, controlling portions and thinking everybody just wants a big pile of whatever sure. is not true. Like I think people are, are appreciating um, thoughtful cuisine um, in leaving a restaurant so that you don't you, you don't feel like you're just absolutely engorged, mm-hmm. right? You, you feel out just satisfied, I think is the word. Um, and so I think if you apply all those principles um, and you do it smartly, no matter what your volume, like controlling a catastrophic event is a little bit easier because you've done everything on the back end um, to do your part so that you just, oh, I didn't, I ordered a thousand pounds of chicken for, <laughs> and I only need a hundred. And like now the fridge went out, so I got to throw everything away. Um, but like, you know, you, you experienced when we were in the Shea, like there would be, there are days in the first year that a, a complete power outage on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, well, for one crazy, but like, you know, preservation of product was like kind of number one. Oh, but, yeah. How did you guys get through that? I mean, uh, lots of ice. Yeah, but we had like uh, the the as you know the community in DC is so great, and so like I had posted something on Facebook, and immediately I had um, had a, a few people just message me on a Friday night um, and just be like, you know, yo, if you need some cooler space, like bring it down, and like we can even come and bring a truck or something like that. And I was like, that's so great. And, like I managed as as best as we could through like. And being smart about it, right? I know the things that could make it at 50 degrees, right? Like, you know, vegetables and stuff like that. So, and also controlling and the things that couldn't, I emptied my ice cooler, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you had to do the same thing, which was. Yeah. I mean, um, a, a full. Pa- so, what happened was um, in uh, 2016. 2016, there was a 12 hour 100% power outage uh, across the entire block where yeah. um, Tim's restaurant and my grocery store were. And this is 
the, the literal grocer's worst nightmare realized. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, we had protocols in place. Yeah. So, you know, actually our first call is to ProFish to yeah. see if we can get a refrigerated truck. Um, and, oh, yeah. we, and then there's like sort of a cascade of calls down the line. So Union Kitchen ended up coming through for us. They sent us a refrigerated truck. We emptied the entire grocery store into it. Yeah. Um, and it was parked illegally. And <laughs> the cops tried to tow it. Of and, they're, you know, I had gotten home at... What happened was I'd gotten home from a vacation. Um, I got the call like pretty much on the way from the airport that the power was out. I went directly to the grocery store. We were unloading the grocery store until 3 a.m. I get to my house at like 3.15. The cops call that they're going to tow the truck. I know that we have like the entire contents of the grocery store precariously balanced inside of this truck. Yep. And if they simply tilt it to tow it, like right. it's gone. It's right. total inventory law. So that was not a great night. Yeah, it, it was tough. And we the, talked about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I know that um, in addition to portion control and some of the other things we've talked about, you've also moved some of your vendor relationships away from large distributors um, that have huge order minimums toward smaller vendors who can bring you individual units if that's what you need. Can you tell us about that transition? Um, so my very first order from my very first restaurant that I ever made um, was with a large company. I won't say their name. Uh, at a very large food distribution company where you can get everything, right? Does it rhyme with Pisco? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so uh, my very first restaurant was only nine tables, small, and I, I had a parking lot, which was a gold mine, but like you could only fit like five cars in there. And so uh, Pisco came with a huge like 18-wheeler and backed into my parking lot in the <laughs> middle of lunch service. And like, <laughs> let's just say me and the... Um, the truck driver had some words. Uh, <laughs> and then that was like kind of it, sometimes, you know, you pay attention to the signs that are around you. Right. And so it was like one of the things that I was like, OK, I don't know why I'm even using this guy. And like I it, like it doesn't make sense for me. And so um, I went and sought out. And again, like just like, you know, why food waste is important it wasn't a conscious decision. Sometimes some of these things happen subconsciously for a reason. Right. And so like um, we started at like looking at all these small purveyors and looking at all the um, local farms and um, seeing like what we can get. And it became a full-time job. And, and this is where I like sympathize with you the most is like to actually use these purveyors, these smaller guys of the local farms. It's a lot more work. It's a lot more work on your end. You almost need a full-time purchaser just to manage all these relationships because, mm-hmm. you know, I would have to drive out to Winchester and meet, um, you know, Steve Baker at the McDonald's and he would have a black bag of pig for me. Um, and I'd throw it in my trunk and, uh, you know, drive back and that, you know, that takes two hours yep. and it also takes time from, um, from the farmer mm-hmm. to do that. And so like managing relationships like that were, were very, very hard. Um, and it's, it's still very hard to this day. And to be honest, their prices are higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but like as a, as a whole, I can sleep at night. The collective of my soul feels better. Um, and I don't have to fight with uh, these guys who really don't pay attention to who you are. You know, you're just another number on the, on the paycheck. Um, and, and so, yes, it, it, it's much harder to tackle that. And, but we do it. I did it as a function of, again, like business. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised by how many of those things happen. But, um, but now we still do it to this day, even at the hotel. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the hardest possible way to source, yeah. right? But it's also the, the most important way to advance the, the mission and the movement of good food. Right, but like everything we were saying, like control, smart ordering, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I can order, you know, 
one bunch of beats from somebody if Certainly. I need to. Um, but you can never do that. It's like, oh, we only have it by the 50-pound case. Yeah. It's like, I mean, what am I going to do with the other, like, 49 pounds? Yeah, these big guys have, you know, a couple thousand dollar order minimum. Right, you right. Know, it's almost impossible to meet that. Now, it's from an administration perspective, it's easier because you send one check to the distributor mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to if you've sourced those you know, 50 or 60 different items individually, it's a whole different right. yeah. beast. Yeah, it's so um, tough. But you've got a family and you give yeah. a shit that the world continues to... Right, yeah. I, you know, they got to they figure it out when, when I when I pass on. Um, and so hopefully they don't have to figure it out as much. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't be actively destroying it in the process of running your restaurants. Um, so you're clearly a leader in the food waste minimization space here in D.C. Are there any other chefs in town doing good work in this issue that you admire? And what I'm specifically looking for are, are restaurant recommendations. Where should we go to support these instincts? Um, well, there's one here in the hotel, right? A Rake's Progress Spike has uh, always done uh, a lot and like above and beyond, even like from his time in Baltimore to be, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like micro farm to table, right? Mm-hmm. Like he takes it to a whole nother degree, which I admire. And um, that makes it tough because, uh, you know, even like sourcing citrus, you don't get that locally, right? Nope. And so when you go to that extreme and you draw a hard line on that, um, it, it's admirable. Nothing right? but sorrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's one of them. I'm trying to think of another one around here. Uh, that's like true, like like micro farm to table. I guess Dabney's one of those mm-hmm. as well, right? He's he's doing a good job there. And um, working with the, the local suppliers and trying to be true to that. And I think, you know, unfortunately that has to happen on a smaller scale. I can't really think of a bigger guy that can, can really do that because maybe to what we just spoke about, just the administrative side of it on, mm-hmm. the, on the front end and the back end, just, you know, how to pay vendors and stuff like that. It just adds more time to your, your end-of-the-night duties. All right, so you heard it here first. Chef Ma is recommending <laughs> Rick's Progress and the Dabney, yeah. but I have to tell you, only go after you've checked out Curious on an American Sun. <laughs> yeah, um, so we're talking with Chef Tim Ma about saving food scraps and saving a couple of bucks in the process. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we'll get some tips on how you can think like a chef in your own home. Back in a sec. The track you're listening to during the break is called Let's Go West Baby by Keto. For more information, visit fullserviceradio.org. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Welcome back. This is Everyday Enviro, a show about the small things you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. I'm Danielle Vogel, founder of Glen's Garden Market, and I'm joined today by Chef Tim Ma of Curiousan and American Sun. We've been talking about saving money by using food scraps, and now we're going to give you some tips about how you can put Chef Ma's practices to use in your home kitchen. So at this point in your career, you've achieved national acclaim. Um, you've cooked at the James Beard House. You've certainly made an indelible imprint on the DC food scene, but you had a whole different career before this. You were an engineer before you were a chef. So there was probably a time in your life when you weren't quite as capable in the kitchen as you are today. Let's talk for a bit about what folks who don't have personal relationships with farmers and line staff can do to minimize food waste. First of all, Chef Ma, what is in your refrigerator at home? Oh, uh, a bunch of kids' food. Uh, like <laughs> And condiments. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like uh, we're always feeding a small nation with my three kids. So um, it's uh, a bunch of lunch meats and lunch snacks. And, um, and I actually don't cook at home, which is, uh, I've never cooked at home. Because you're not there during mealtimes. Uh, well, that and I just never did. So like, you know, speaking of the previous career, I was, I was an engineer, electrical engineer for a very long time. I didn't pick up a, a knife until I was 30 years old. And the first time was at culinary school. Um, and like to the point, like you know that I had never picked up a knife because in culinary school, because you like, picked up the wrong side. Well, no, <laughs> like, like this hurts. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting in the front, or I was standing in the front, and like you know, you hold it against um, the space between your knuckles, and I wouldn't do that because I was like, I'm going to cut myself. They're like, who is this fucking engineer who <laughs> just walked into culinary school doesn't know how to hold a knife? Oh. Um, and so I spent my twenties in my engineering career like having an empty fridge, to be honest. Uh, um, but I bet your Brunois were like architecturally flawless. Oh yeah, like straight lines and measurements were, <laughs> were a thing for me. Um, but but yeah, so like a recommendation to like the person who you know isn't trained or you know does cook at home or doesn't cook at home. Well, like one of the f- things that we were just talking about: uh, patronize restaurants and grocers that are cognizant of it. Mm-hmm. And you know that's one way to support the movement um, is to support those who are on the front lines of the movement. So so I'm sorry to say I'm not going to let you out of this one this easily oh, okay. because we're going to play <laughs> Chopped Challenge, okay. which is even more fun because you don't generally cook at home. Uh, yeah. So if you had to cook a meal using the contents of your refrigerator, oh. what would it be? <laughs> Coming at you. Lunch meats oh. and condiments. It's going to be great. I, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Like I don't make stocks at home, right? And that's that's always the catch-all to everything, right? Like you know, carrot greens, carrot peelings, all that stuff, and all scallion butts and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I just hope your wife is listening. Oh my god, <laughs> it's probably going to do with like chicken. So it's like. Um, yeah, we don't even we don't even like I don't even process whole chickens at home. Right? It's a <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. We have a tiny fridge, but um, use uh, okay. So here here's maybe it is what it is is uh, like kale's a good example or something like that, right? So um, and I'm not saying that we have that at home, but we've had that at home before. It's like you know you can use some of it um, to cook, right? And like and then some of it you can eat fresh as a salad because it, it's great like that. And we do that in American Sun. Uh, but the last part is the stem. Mm-hmm. Right, the stem's a hard, hard thing to just like serve somebody to eat raw, um, and even cooked. It's not that easy. Yeah, and so uh, I would 
challenge anybody. I've done this before. I actually did this as part of a food waste challenge somewhere. Um, and I took the uh, the stems and you braise them mm-hmm. over a long period of time, right? And you can you can it, it's just like uh, anything that uh, braises for a long time, it'll absorb a lot of flavor. Um, and so you braise it in just like simple stock and like some seasonings, or uh, you can go like very like as far as like making curries and stuff like that out of it, which uh, lends itself to long cook times. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. All right. So from Chef Ma's refrigerator, we have kale three ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. So understanding that you don't do a lot of cooking at home, can you give us any tips for the home cook that's trying to elongate the lifespan of things like maybe cut herbs or close to expired milk or cream? Hmm. Um, custards, ice creams, stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously the fresher the better, but if you're trying to use something like it's one of the easier things to do with it. Um, and it doesn't take, it takes a little bit of technique, but it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a savory chef and I can make, I mm-hmm. make ice cream. Like we, we have a savory dish at Kirasan with savory ice cream on it. Um, and that was everybody for the longest time. It was me cooking it. And then finally I got a pastry chef. I was like, here, you do it. Uh, so if I can make it, uh, anybody can. Um, but, and plus it sounds like a really fun weekend activity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a good thing if you do it with the kids, it's like, you know, they're going to enjoy making ice cream more than they're going to be enjoy making like a hollandaise sauce or something like that. Or, or maybe braising kale stems. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, and then herbs is like, uh, always keep them wrapped in like a wet paper towel or something like that. that ah, be, uh, okay. There we go. Yeah. That always helps a lot. Um, and then only cut what you need, right? Again, portion control, menu designs, stuff like that. Smart. Okay, so wrap your herbs in a wet paper towel yeah. and only cut what you need. Yeah. Um, okay, so expiration dates are kind of one a of guideline. the... guideline. Yeah, also <laughs> like one of the biggest contributors to food waste, right? Because people are, are fearful of right. those. So um, to the extent that you are legally allowed to do so, can you give us sort of guidelines on how long after an expiration date you would feel comfortable using either a meat or a dairy product at home? Um, use common sense, just like everything, Smell it, yeah, everything else feel it. in your life and experience, right? Like <laughs> I say this all the time is like, I, uh, would experience, uh, experiment everything on myself before I would ex- like, and if, if yeah, I didn't get sick from it, <laughs> like I, I, that's a, not in my restaurants, but like at home, um, but <laughs> I'm going to pull you off this immediately before you publicist is called. Oh, no, they're going to be just fine. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you see your experience. You, you, like, there's a reason things spoil, like, things have been designed naturally in a way that you know when something's bad for the most part. So, like, you know, smell your milk before you drink it. And, like, look at at the um, expiration dates truly as a guideline. So, and you see your experience as the rest of it. Like, you know, we've made it this far. You know. Sure, we have all of these senses for a reason. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, probably don't drink the chunky milk. Yes, otherwise exactly. Otherwise, you're fine a couple of days after the expiration right. date. Right. Um, so do you have any last thoughts on how we can minimize food waste in our home kitchens? Hmm. Um, I would think of your home kitchen as a restaurant, right? And a lot of people um, don't think of it that way. They just think of it as... Um, a way to provide food but if you treat it like a, as a business yourself and it will actually help you um, on your back end accounting um, 
I think that'll be fun. One is to like think of it as a restaurant, as though you're designing a restaurant, you're thinking about your customers, which are typically like eight year olds who aren't thinking about <laughs> it too much. Um, and then, you know, again, portion control and smart ordering in that case at the grocery store being smart. It's like, do you really need like 15 pounds of grapes or, um, or can you get away with five pounds and you make it take another trip later in the week? Um, so I think that may be, you know, it's like my kids actually play this game on their iPad, which is like, uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's like a restaurant game and it's like continually feeding people like swiping and stuff like that. And it's, so it's like involve everybody in this little restaurant game that you play at home. Um, That's great advice. Maybe, uh, is a way to think about it to subconsciously again, everything's like all the good things happen subconsciously. I think, uh, you, you're attacking food waste without even knowing it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for being here today, Chef Mai. I really, I learned a ton. This was really fun. Um, but before we end our time together, let's take a moment to reflect on why climate change is a problem worth even attempting to address at the personal level. It's huge and complex, and at times it seems well beyond our control. But it's not. This is your moment of motivation. Around one-third of all the food the world produces is never eaten. And at the same time, 800 million people struggle to feed themselves. Fully 25% of all water used in agriculture goes to growing food that's lost or wasted. And if wasted food were its own country, it would be the world's third largest emitter of greenhouse gases. According to Liz Goodwin, Senior Fellow for Food Waste at the World Resources Institute, I'm quoting here, she says, the biggest issue with regard to food waste in developed countries is waste from households. There are two main reasons. First, we buy too much food and then we let it go bad. Second, we cook too much, and then we have leftovers we don't use. So what's the upshot? Take an inventory of your fridge before you go shopping so you know what you have and what you need. Use your freezer as the preservation chamber it was invented to be. And then get creative with food scraps so you can eat everything you've got rather than throwing food and money into the trash. Thank you so much for being here today, Chef. I learned a ton. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio. If you have an idea for a show or a guest, or you have a question about how you can reduce your personal carbon footprint, hit me up by email. I'm at Glenn's Garden Market. Oh my gosh, I don't even know my own email address. It's, super, it's awesome. It's day one of pollen season in DC. I'm at glensmarket at gmail.com. And in any event, I'll catch you again next week on Everyday Enviro. Talk then. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>